So, have we decided on a actual title for this podcast? Yeah, for today, I'll call it... Star- Welcome to DieCast Enterprise. Freeform thoughts on the first episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, Encounter at Farpoint, by... Was it DC Fontana? I think it is. What yes. a way to start the series. Uh, Oof. It's kind of dire. Well, like any pilot, a lot of stuff hadn't really been established. A lot of continuity stuff is um, still yeah. up in the air. Like Picard not having chosen Riker. Like Picard's just been saddled with Riker in this episode. But in yeah. later episodes, it will come to light that Picard specifically chose Riker. Like He was like, yeah, Riker's the guy I want. But not in this what? first episode. In this first episode, it's like, well, I've been told that Commander Riker will be joining us at Farpoint Station. Won't that be a trip? That is one thing we can talk about. We get the introductions to all the different characters, and there's some allusion to how they ended up on the crew. Yeah. Picard is surprised that Dr. Crusher asked yeah. for the assignment to I'm, be on the ship. You would think that would be something Picard would know, being the captain of Maybe. that ship. I think probably he just didn't care beyond his first officer. He's just like, yeah, give me some crew This is the flagship of the Federation. You would think that the captain would have final say on, like, his chief staff members. It's like... I don't know. In a lot of organizations, hiring doesn't really work like that. You know, he's sort of... HR, probably at Starfleet's like, oh, you know, here's the candidates that you can pick from. You give a short list. And he's like, oh, I'll take the guy. Oh, this guy doesn't have a beard. I'll go with him. Picard doesn't seem to know who any of these people are. (laughs) He's like, oh, I just got a crew. Sweet. Thanks, Starfleet. That's great. He's probably worried about other things at the time. I, I liked Picard's entry into the series. We see the starship, and then all of a sudden, boom, there's Picard looking out the window into infinity. It's all dark in there, too. Like, he's in the one room on the Enterprise that doesn't have any lights. You're right. The opening shot is a bit weird. You know, there's the pan of the ship. And he steps out of the shadows, but he's still partially in shadow. ready room, apparently, they he's got that the lights off. He's got that voiceover going, you know, the great unexplored mass of the galaxy. And then the first shot we get in the engineering bay. Yeah, uh, it was all handheld. Handheld cam, which they abandoned after that one shot. And it was really bad, too. Like, I mean, it felt like the guy who was filming it had, like, a case of the shakes or something, because, like, it was bouncing around all over the place. It was like they got the guy who filmed Man of Steel to film this shot of the uh, engineering bay. I guess we'll never really, well, maybe research this, but I certainly have no no idea what order the shots were. We're not going to research that, no. What, what order everything was shot in. I mean, you know, a lot of the time, the stuff that you see at the beginning, the, the, the fillers are actually shot at the end. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was the case there. They smacked <laughs> the guy's really tired. Yeah, ad lib something at the end. I don't know. Should we talk about Worf? Our first shot of the bridge, and, like, there's Worf at the back of the bridge behind Tasha Yard doing whatever it is Worf's job is assistant, in season one. Assistant security. A job that doesn't get filled when Worf takes over as security chief. It's like at the beginning of season one, it's like, uh. yeah, we need two security people on the bridge, and then after Tasha Yard gets killed, it's yeah, just leave it at one. One's good. It's fine. We I mean, don't need more. Well, later on we see Worf with, like, other people on the security team. Mm-hmm. But maybe, like, yeah, they just felt like they only need one on the bridge. And Worf's all over the place, too. He's at the con at one point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he's at one point he's just standing behind the con. That seems to be his job at that moment. Is Does like, he ever do that later? I don't know. Con, like, like, once he gets the yellow shirt, then I don't think he's never at the con yeah. anymore. Why but... didn't he have a yellow shirt to begin with, though? Like, he was security, wasn't he? That would clash with his, his sash. I I guess so. Maybe that's why they redid the sash in season yeah. two. Well, he ought to order another one. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, one like more color coordinated. You don't think of Klingons as being terribly fashion conscious, but there it is. No, it's a good thought. I like his haircut. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it short. Uh, yeah, it's not quite the bouffant that it will become in like season two. As far as I can tell, maybe Klingons have really slow-growing hair, and just he just never gets a haircut after the <laughs> series starts. He just gets longer and longer all the yeah. way through his time in the Star Trek universe. The last couple times you've seen him, he's got like the full-blown ponytail. Worf's hair is a problem for pretty much all of Star Trek. Just... So like we see him later on, much later in the series, you know when he does like let his hair out and whatever. <laughs> it's all like wavy, and most Klingons seem to have like hardcore like crimped, you know. Well, well, crimping came into fashion hair. and then never left on uh, on. Or is that, or are, we, or are we to believe that Klingon hair is naturally wavy like that? And is Worf straightening his a, hair? It's a natural crimp. It came at the same time yeah. that the forehead ridges came. Could be. Forehead ridges and crimped hair just happened to the Klingon people one day. Recessive DNA introduced into the population, I guess. I yeah, know. yeah, that seems legit. Could be. So they run into Q first. Yeah, a lot of the major characters from the whole, like, that we're going to see through the next seven seasons are introduced in the very first episode. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, it's one thing that's kind of impressive. Like. Well, Q being one of my favorite villains, or adversaries, I'm not going to call him a villain, sure. of the Star Trek universe, being introduced, like, in the first episode is pretty cool. My understanding was that he wasn't originally in the first episode. No. And the whole Farpoint thing was an idea unto itself, and Q was an idea unto itself. And then they decided that for our first episode, we're going to do a big two-hour long one. 
Oh, man. So they crammed both episodes together. The idea of just watching Farpoint without Q would be <laughs> just Ponderous. unspeakably boring. So I'm glad they combined them. Yeah, it's weird. The whole Farpoint plotline isn't very compelling. No. <laughs> uh, or interesting. And it does lead to a lot of like the worst Counselor Troy moments in the series. Well, I think like everybody else, there's <laughs> Troy's still finding her feet at this point. Yeah. Um, My understanding is that Marina Sirtis doesn't even like to watch her performance in the first episode anymore. I seem to recall fair. interviews where she says when she watched it on Blu-ray, she was watching it through the <laughs> fingers of her hands, like covering her eyes. Yeah, Which is fair, because that is a heck of a performance. She is feeling all of the emotions <laughs> really hard. Yeah, No one is feeling emotions hard. harder than Counselor Troy is at any given moment. That's her job, we're I, led to believe, I, I I'm, think. I'm, uh, her eyes are so watery, and I wonder if it's because of the, uh, <laughs> the contact lenses she's is wearing. It, is it the emotion? Is it the contacts? <laughs> is Marina Sirtis just that good of an, a- of an actress that she can just channel that emotion to the level of tears? Or is it just that her eyes were really irritated by those amazing contact lenses they've got her wearing? A little bit of both, I'm guessing. She was on the verge of tears many times in that episode. It's impressive. As is her hair. Like, her hair is huge in this episode. I am kind of curious. Is that a wig also? I don't know. I mean, I know. the very next episode, like... This, this was the 80s. It was a time of big hair. It was, but I mean, like, what's going on in the very next episode? her hair is completely different. And she gets into that weird kind of severely pulled back thing with that circuit board yeah, like built it, in Yeah, this weird kind of almost this hair anus that's made out of... Like, I think it's just it's just Klingon envy. Yeah, and, and then like she she's the got that weird like bridge. horn coming out the back of her head of hair. It's a bun though. Yeah, like, yeah but it's long, you know? It's a black banana sticking out the back of her skull. But again, she's basically got like a jerry curl going on in the yeah, first yeah. episode, then she goes to that. Are they both wigs? Is one a wig? I don't know. It's hard to say. I don't know enough about lady hair i know ladies do all these things like extensions and stuff and i have no idea how they work you know it's it's the blackest of magic as far as i'm concerned i haven't had hair since what 2008 now i can't remember the last time you had a circuit board in your hair (laughs) yeah that's true uh hair is totally alien to me now at this point that's fair okay so q arrives and puts up that big force field thing in front of them which i always thought looked really cool as a kid you know that interlocking field well should we mention i guess that we're watching the the beautiful blu-ray oh yeah that's a good point the blu-ray restoration of star trek the next generation is phenomenal the level of detail that's in the images that you wouldn't have seen before in the broadcast versions or even on home video on dvd it's amazing it's almost impossible to watch the standard def versions now yeah if you're streaming these watching you know netflix or other sources like do yourself a favor get a hold of the blu-ray versions or just gouge your eyes out (laughs) it's hard to go back it's a waste They, they highlight a lot of you know the more hilarious uh you know makeup and wardrobe things about the early shows oh yeah like the use of bronzer on q in this first episode in his first costume you yeah. know as, as like that uh european explorer even even within the episode like some people's makeup clearly is like inconsistent in different shots mm-hmm. like data is like wearing his like his metal lip balm in some shots yeah, other yeah. ones he's mm-hmm. going on natural yeah and... he had like he had really pink lips on the uh, on the battle bridge yeah this stuff's you know it's, it's hard to notice when it's not in hd it was good to see o'brien in the very first episode there although is credited not- as Battle Bridge Khan in the credits. <laughs> yep, not O'Brien yet. Doesn't have a name yet. Not yet. But there he is, episode one. Yeah, to, he would go on to star in a truly great uh, webcomic that you all should check out that I can't remember the name of off the top of my head. Oh, these people know it. Yeah, I'm sure they do. It's a weird thing recording for people that aren't here talking to people that we can't see. They're listening live. I don't know if you know that, but they are. They can the internet us. works. They can hear us right now before I've even edited this episode together. It's incredible. Technology. At this point, like, how do you feel about Q? Like, do you think that his character is even pretty much established as who he is? Because I think he, like, it changes quite a bit. Yeah, he evolves a great deal. Like, Do you think they even had in mind what they wanted Q to be at this point? Like, I think that at this point, Q is very definitely and clearly based off of that uh, character from the original series. Oh, which one? There's that episode in the original series with this kind of trickster guy, and he's dressed up all Napoleon style, and he uh, can basically do Q stuff. Oh, that guy. What's his name? Um, I don't know. Um, I'll bet the internet knows. 
probably does. So, like, does that guy... Uh, yeah, I've seen that before. Like, people speculate that maybe he is a Q, and that's kind of a neat retcon thing you could do there. I get the distinct impression that that's what they were going for. Like, even if they didn't mean for them to be the same species or whatnot. But I get the distinct impression that that was the kind of character they were going for. But Q, I think, he's supposed to be seen as more of a threat, I think, at this point. Or, you know, this menace. Yeah. Him. Whereas later, I guess, like, you know, he's more like a saucy rogue they have to deal with but i don't really think he's a uh, particularly menacing later yeah it was in the original series episode the squire of gothos yeah 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 that's right i don't know if i'm saying that right that is the episode that uh, we're assuming that q is kind of mm-hmm. based on whether that's true or not they seem to not quite know the extent of q's powers yeah not at all like picard makes some funny assumptions when uh, q first shows up like when he uh q freezes that guy who had his uh, face around. was it eric estrada <laughs> uh yeah <laughs> sure it was <laughs> absolutely yeah. uh the the guy who looked like eric estrada yeah he was reaching for his phaser and yeah picard's outrage that uh q well, didn't recognize the fact that the phaser was set to stun you know because totally q could have seen that being that it was in that guy's hand yeah this is the first time they don't know like, i would... guess the assumption is that every alien everywhere is totally familiar with uh, standard weapons. standard issue federation hand phasers yeah that's it uh, seems unlikely like like the federation is sending literature out to everyone so that when when these aliens do finally encounter us they'll be like oh stun setting so you were only going to render me unconscious thank goodness i feel really comfortable mm. with that i know it's it's probably bad to get too much into like you know the ins and outs of how like some of the the, the science works on star trek but no no get into it <sighs> Well, all right. It's been covered a lot. Things like the Universal Translator. Like, you can't send out a message to random people. Yeah. Or, as we call it, magic. Well, yeah. It's very best to leave it in that realm, I think. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. This machine can figure it out. No problem. You know, once you've encountered a race and you have some, like, idea of what its language is, maybe, but mm. the first time you're ever encountering something... I mean, I guess Q has his omnipotent power, so he can probably just talk to them and make them understand what he's saying. I got the impression that Q was speaking to them in English. Maybe that is the idea. I've never been clear on how the Universal Translator later works whether it's translating on the fly when they're talking to people on the view screen or i don't know what about when they meet face to face yeah exactly like what's going on there like do they all have ear little pieces or something ears. yeah maybe yeah, yeah you know like a babel fish the communicator does that for them the magical communicator as well it knows who you're talking to at all times all times you know it's, it's computers apparently are amazing in the star trek universe they they understand they understand you better than you understand yourself it could be so when the queue starts chasing them you know after they run away from Q. The little energy ball? Like yeah, that. and they do their saucer separation. At warp speed. At warp speed. I remember this was like a big deal back in the day. I remember watching the premiere when I was a kid. Really? Oh, wow. yeah. When Star Trek The Next Generation came out on TV, it was a huge deal. Like, it, there, there were commercials everywhere. Like, I was super stoked for it. I remember sitting on the floor in the living room watching it on, I uh, can't remember if it was KVOS TV 12... I don't know. Or possibly. It may have been on the CBC even when I watched it. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, because there was this whole special before it. Really? Yeah. I never saw it when it aired first. Um, I don't think I saw Star Trek until... Or am I... No, wait a minute. I am mixing up... Well, no, I still remember watching the premiere of Next Gen, but the special I'm thinking of was actually... Came out, like, around... It was still first season of Next Gen, I think, but it was a a big special where they released the pilot episode of Star Trek, The Cage. Oh, yeah, yeah. and, uh, and it had interviews with all of the uh, cast of Next Gen. Yeah, tell us your thoughts about the cage. Yeah, oh, oh yeah, totally. Yeah, I remember Will Wheaton on that. <laughs> For real? Yeah, like, yeah. This is a real thing. You're not yeah, making this, this is, up. I'm not making this up. I had it on tape, man. I had I recorded oh, that. The first televised showing of Star Trek The Cage. Do you remember talking to other kids about Star Trek, their initial reactions? About Next Gen? Yeah, yeah. Andrew McVie and I were way oh, into it. Hey, Andrew, are you listening? <laughs> remember Next Gen? We were way into it. In fact, in season two, when Riker got the beard, Andrew's mom made him a Starfleet uniform for Halloween that With year. With the beard? Uh, no, she didn't make the beard. She got really angry, though, when uh, Andrew, oh. came, Andrew drew the beard onto his face with the Crayola markers. No. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but not, like, filled in. Like, he didn't just scrub it onto his face to right. just make a whole swat brown. No, he did it in dashes. He just dabbed at his face with this thing well, all it's, over. It's probably to, better than, like, a Hollywood you know, Hogan. To, to simulate hair, I presume. 
assume. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm sorry for, you know, telling everybody about this, Andrew, but it was really funny. I really liked it. It was very goofy. Yeah, good times. Andrew and I were the big Trekkies of our elementary school. I remember other kids really being into Star Trek. Like, oh, yeah, as we all were, like in high I, school. Oh, that was later, though, but I don't really yeah. remember discussing it with anyone at that age. Andrew and I didn't discuss Next Gen. We played Next Gen. Well, yeah. You know, <laughs> right age, that's right. what we did, right? Like, recess and lunch were away missions. That kind of thing. Or, you know, like, we had the old Galoob action figures, you know, before the Playmates line. Mm-hmm. And Andrew and I both had the die-cast metal Enterprise D that Galoob put out, which was glorious. And you can see it hanging on my wall over there, a the, carded one. Yeah, the metal one. And it was rad. And Andrew broke his trying to show his mom how sturdy it was. He, you have mo- a toy, it's robust. You well, he, he, had, dropped, he like, had dropped it, and it was fine. Yeah. So he picked it up, and he goes, Mom, look how sturdy it is. And this time he hucked it at the ground oh. and broke it. It was still okay, I guess, but it mm. broke the clamps that held the saucer section on, so his saucer section could no longer attach to the drive section. Mm. And also, he bent one of the warp nacelles in, so it was kind of like bent in towards the drive section. It's interesting that um, that damaged the saucer section, whereas Riker was able to reconnect the ship, <laughs> the drive section with the saucer section, manually by eyeballing. Yeah, yeah. This Sort of as Picard asked him to do this, sort of, you know, prove his metal on the fly. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that, though. Like, let's talk about the separation first before we get to the reconnection. (laughs) Getting ahead of ourselves. We are, but that's okay. The whole notion of disconnecting the saucer at warp 9 point what? Were they at 9.6, I think, was like where they topped out? 9.6, 9.7? Because Q was going 9.8. They were going really fast. They were going really fast. They were booking it. And Picard's all like, Data, how hard is it to disconnect the saucer section? going real fast and Data's like it's never been done sir and he's all like well hypothetically and he's like well hypothetically it's possible but you shouldn't do that that's no don't do that and then Picard's all like we're doing it wow it's like you're rewatching the episode yeah yeah thanks thanks for that <laughs> I recreated it for you in your mind yeah, you did the voices and everything I know right I do a really good Data it was it seemed a little reckless I'm not gonna <laughs> lie I, I'm not even really sure why they did it I, the idea I suppose was that this way maybe Q wouldn't pursue both halves yeah, of the ship. but how did they know which half Q would pursue? No idea. Clearly, like, they think, obviously, he's going to pursue the drive section. That's the battle section. But why would Q know that? They signaled that they surrendered, but again... It... Yeah, but that was, like, l- well after the separation. Why exactly Q couldn't just capture both halves? Yeah, yeah, know. that's never explained either. Like, you think yeah. Q seems to be powerful enough that he could be in two places at once. You'd think so. That seems to be it. Like, plus he says that he's from the Q continuum, and he keeps referring to us, so the impression is that while he's the Q entity that we're interacting with, there are more, yeah. and they're possibly all watching this and involved. We learn that later. He chases the battle bridge because... The plot requires him to chase the battle bridge. Sure. Then they have a scene on... That judgment scene. I still think, and like we've discussed this before, but our listeners will not have been privy to that conversation. So I'm concerned about the warp field when you separate the saucer section from the drive section at high warp. The the saucer section, as far as I know, is not warp capable. I think it's only got impulse. Well, as I know, you've read the Star Trek technical manual. I have. You'll be well aware that the warp cells aren't actually propulsion units. No. All they do is create the warp field, which exactly. allows the ship somehow to use its impulse engines to travel at super fast speed. So presumably, the nacelles make a field around the entire ship, and yeah. perhaps that field can be larger. So like, can, as the ship so they is can extend the field forward. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. So like, they, so when the thing is separated, the the, the uh, saucer section does it does have its own propulsion system. Yeah, obviously. but it doesn't immediately collapse the warp bubble by plowing through it. I guess. Not. Maybe that's why this whole separation thing is new and cool, because like they couldn't before make yeah. an expansion. Well, see, that was bubble, that was always maybe? my concern was once that saucer separates, as soon as it collides with the outer edge of the warp field, will it not then you know either be obliterated by that warp field or collapse look, look, the bubble? Listen, baby, the Enterprise has not only <laughs> on board has not only Wesley Crusher but also Jory LaForge's visor. Oh, when yeah. you combine those those two things together with the tricorder, you can do anything. <laughs> Science is gonna like win. Yeah, so don't don't sweat it. Okay, I, I I was just you know that was my concern was uh, yeah. you know especially like pushing their engines to maximum warp and then also asking the engines oh by the way extend the warp field out. 
Let's just make it happen. It's fine. And it's kid, Picard. I'm just, you know, the saucer separation was a big deal back in the day. Like, yeah, was, was so cool. And it was interesting because they use it twice in the first season, and then they like almost never use it again. Like, it only happens one more time. When they fight the Borg, don't they yeah. do it? I think. Yeah, exactly. Like in Best of Both Worlds, they separate the saucer, the saucer section, and that's it. Like they never yeah. separate the saucer again until generations when Troy crashes it into a planet. Well, you know, you don't want to overuse it. I don't really know what kind of fun adventures you could really have separating the ship up. But, like, yeah, you think they'd just do it all the time just for kicks. Like, anytime they're going into a da- dangerous situation. Yeah. Hey, let's not take all the families on board into yeah. this fight. Yeah, yeah, let's leave them here. Yeah. Or, you know, I think there'd be scientific applications, too. Uh, you know, yeah. like, it, it, when they're doing surveys of various sectors where they won't be traveling at war. Oh, hey, how about we separate the saucer section, and then we can cover the area twice as fast. I honestly can't remember, but I'm sure there are episodes coming up in later seasons when this exact thing comes up. And I'm sure other people have talked about this like we're like oh no we need to be in two places at once there's some emergency on planet a but there's something else going on out in space or on planet b and we can't be in two places at once well you could have you split the ship up but let's not do that no 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 we yeah it's like oh there's an emergency situation on this planet we got to get there now we got to get there fast but also we need to stay here oh if only there were some way that we could get there and stay here if only there was some way we could split the ship up at warp speed oh well good thing we didn't establish that in the first episode Uh, anyway who knows who knows okay so the courtroom scene and uh tasha's impassioned speech Oh, well, don't forget we have Shang Tsung there. Too. Oh, yeah, that's right. Shang Tsung from the first Mortal Kombat movie yep. is like the bailiff, as it were. Sure, yeah. You know, he's the, he's the uh, all-rise in the presence of the judge dude, and he's got his little uh, dwarf guy beside him his who friends. hits that weird cowbell thing. Cowbell. The post-atomic horror. Whatever that is. Star Trek has a really interesting idea of what humanity's future was going to be before it got to Star Trek. It's good to leave lots of gaps in that. But those um, gaps are getting really small now. Like, the post-atomic horror, I think we're already in it. No, that was like 2079, I think uh, said. So it's coming soon, people. Watch out for the horror. <laughs> it's, uh, it's bad. They're going to kill all the lawyers. We know a lot of lawyers. That's true. So that's... Oh my. Yeah, they mentioned that, I guess. Guys, you picked the wrong profession. Well, yeah. Why couldn't you have a real career like Foley or no career like me? Um, so anyway, yeah, the uh, Picard manages, I guess, to get a reprieve on uh, Q's sentencing of humans as a... Was it a viciously savage race? <laughs> yeah, a vicious savage child race. Yeah, it's pretty pretty mean, Q. Yeah, that's hurtful. A little bit, a little bit. But um, what about Tasha's impassioned speech? Like she's Oh, right. Um, and he's like, Tasha, no, and she's like, I must! She felt compelled to speak. <laughs> Didn't like I have a speech now. Which, uh, get down on your knees to what Starfleet represents. Yeah, that was a bit over the top. It really was. So Q freezes her too. Many Castrata. Like many unfreezes her, and the freezing effect is okay. It's all, all right. right. Q decides that Farpoint Station should certainly provide an excellent challenge, and I believe our uh, joint thought on that was really well. You know, it really isn't that interesting a story. <laughs> no. Oh, it's, um, it's kind of not. But I guess, you know, you got to go with it. They're, they're committed at that point to this storyline. Yeah. So, uh, it's just kind of funny. Like, in Q's estimation, the mystery of Farpoint Station will be a suitable challenge to decide whether humans are, uh, are a savage race or not. And I, just, I don't see it. It's well, like, oh, I mean, okay. I, not to jump ahead too much, but I mean, like, they when they do sort of solve the whole thing, that's that sort of thing. Q is sort of shocked that they were able to do it. Or not shocked, but, you know, they're all kind of smug that they were able to do it. And, Maybe this was too easy. Yeah, maybe it was. Maybe it was. Maybe it was. We're at Farpoint now in orbit, and now we get to talk about uh, Riker. Yeah. Baby-faced uh, Jonathan Frakes down oh, on man. the planet. Smooth as a baby's butt, that face. Yeah, yeah. He's looking dashing. Um, Frakes always looks dashing. I met Frakes at uh, the Calgary Comic Expo. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I forgot about that. Last year. For the 25th anniversary of Star Trek. It was, uh, it was quite the moment. He's a very cool dude. Did he have a beard? Uh, you know, I, I was so starstruck that uh, I can't recall. I don't think he did. I think he, I think it was clean shape. Haven, but he had like kind of spiky hair he's kind of been rocking that look for yeah what well, since the movies anyway it was cool he was super nice we talked about uh i wanted to be able to talk to him about something not just star trek oh, yes. uh so i decided to uh let him know that i at least had really liked his uh thunderbirds movie because he was the director of the thunderbirds movie he's such a suck up i am such a suck up but genuinely i did like the thunderbirds movie i thought it was yeah. fun and captured the kind of vibe of the original series nice. and so i said 
as much to him. I was like, I really liked that. And he seemed genuinely pleased that someone had enjoyed the movie and, Sweet. you know, talked about how much fun he'd had making it and stuff and what, you know, working with Ben Kingsley was like and, uh-huh. and stuff like that. Yeah, it was really cool. And uh, then, of course, he ingratiated himself to me beyond all Get Out when, as I was leaving, and for our listeners, oh, I, right. I was wearing my Ghostbusters costume. I have a proton pack and whatnot. It's all super legit. Mm-hmm. And as I was walking away, Jonathan Frakes called after me, Hey, who are you going to call? So Jonathan Frakes oh. is, you know, we're BFFs forever now. Nice. Nice. Good shout out. The point I'm trying to convey to our listeners is that I've met Jonathan Frakes. <laughs> and it. you should all be really jealous of me. Yeah. I have, in fact, met every cast member of Star Trek The Next Generation. We'll get to that later. Well, then I guess uh, the next thing major scene is uh, Riker beams up to the ship for the first time. <laughs> then he immediately has to go to the battle bridge because the saucer section isn't, hasn't arrived yet at the planet. Yeah. It's a good thing they separated at the same time. Yeah. The, the section that Q held behind actually got to the planet first. It's strange. But then again, the... Uh, the the, they didn't know that. At the they time. didn't have warp capabilities on the uh, on the saucers, so yeah. even if it had a head start, yeah, yeah. But you would think that they would have just caught up with each other and reconnected, reconnected no, before. No. no, 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 no time for that. No. They'll get here eventually. Exactly. I like that uh, Riker asks Tasha Yar. It's like, so uh, no, no uh, saucer section. What's up with that? And she's all like, oh, that's for the captain to tell you. No, no. And then she's like, no, the captain's going to have to tell you. And then when and then the, the, captain ship, the captain's like, watch this monitor with a vague, high, sped-up replay of a few clips that we've already seen on the show. That You can watch this in 10 seconds, and then you'll know what's going on. Riker essentially watches a clip show. Yeah. Without any context, either. Like, there's no narration. There's no captain's log to go with it to uh, tell just him a, what's going on. Just a it's couple like, of sound The very first thing he sees is that uh, that wall that Q made yeah. appearing and then we cut immediately to Q talking it's like what's Riker supposed to think of that so if he can absorb everything that happened just from that little quick synopsis of like broken up video clips couldn't they have just explained in like two sentences to him what happened yeah yeah you would think so the other part of that scene is uh, as Riker's watching this Picard goes to leave for his ready room mm-hmm. and he asks Data about the ETA of the saucer section and, and Data tells him 51 minutes oh right and then Picard leaves, and then we turn back to Riker. What, finished watching his clip show. And the clip show's finished. So Riker goes and follows Picard into to, the ready room. Into the ready room. And while they're talking, they do their whole introduction thing. You yeah. Know? Picard's all like, oh, you know, you wouldn't let your captain go do shit on the planet. And Riker's all like, no, I didn't. And they right. seem okay with that. And at the end of that scene, all of a sudden, Data sends a message to Captain Picard, like, oh yeah, the saucer section's here, we're ready to reconnect. The, the saucer section's going to arrive in two minutes. 20 seconds ago, they weren't going to arrive for another hour. Yeah, well, you know, they, they talked for a while, we just didn't see a lot of it. Maybe <laughs> maybe, maybe there was like a 30-minute stare-down before they actually started talking. They had a good long laugh about uh, Picard not being good with children. Maybe. I'm to project an air of geniality, smile, stone face. That was weird. Oh. I mean, they, they come back to that a few times that, that Picard is awkward with kids, but like mm-hmm. overall, not much is made of that, except yeah. when it's really useful to the plot. They're only pl- they only really play it up with Wesley. Yeah, and then in later seasons, they're like, oh, he has to, here he is on the turbo lift yeah. with some kids. Yeah, but even then, he's not bad. Like, no, he does fine. Much is made of his discomfort with children, and then it amounts to practically nothing. Yeah, it's not really used very often. Much like the saucer separation. Mm-hmm. It turns out Picard's perfectly capable of dealing with kids without any trouble whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, it's a series with, like, what, like 140 episodes? 130 episodes? There's a lot of episodes anyway, and I guess you can't establish everything that you're going to use in the very first mm-hmm, episode. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and, and it basically goes away, like, the, the next episode after uh, Best of Both Worlds, he's suddenly, like, super great with his nephew yeah that's right yeah, I was like whatever yeah it's all good now that's a good episode I can't wait to talk about that episode got a long time to go in a couple of years when we get to that episode oh man well if we do these one per week yikes <laughs> you know, like jeepers so we meet Groppler Zorn oh Groppler Zorn or as some of you may know him Duke from G.I. Joe Man of many voice acting. Yeah, he has done a lot of voice acting. Yeah, just IMDb him. Yeah, he's Major Blood as well. And Scrap Iron, I think. He's he's a bunch of Transformers. Yeah, yeah. I think he was on the Snorks. Did a lot of uh, Hanna-Barbera stuff. Yeah, so he's a giant in the industry anyway. And mm-hmm. here, he is, here he is moonlighting on Star Trek. 
Yeah, um, and he's got an office with his name printed in the window. That's kind of awesome. It's interesting. I wish I had my name. Interesting my piece name. of set dressing. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, let's uh, let's put his name on the window. So the Bandy have created this space station on the ground. Right. They call it a space station. Yeah, they call it a space station all through the episode, but it's on the ground, and I'm not exactly yeah. sure what use Starfleet has for a ground-based space station. I don't know. It basically seems to be a place with, like, a sweet shopping mall. Yeah. That, Does the Starfleet really need this? They don't do a lot to explain why Starfleet would want this station. Like, they keep telling us that it's perfect for Starfleet's needs, but we never see anything about that. All yeah. we ever see is, yeah, they have a, re- they have a really wicked outdoor market. Yeah. <laughs> Probably some food carts. <laughs> yeah. like, uh, if you want to get some really nice fabric, yeah. they often have exactly what you want. I'm looking for heirloom tomatoes. Yeah, I yeah. Like, I don't really know. Um, that's a good point, I suppose. Like, starships in general, you know, they're pretty self-sustaining in yeah. general, right? They have replicators. And the majority of them they, can't land. Right. So, I mean, I could see maybe, like, when a ship goes into dock at a star base, it's mostly about... Maintenance. It's mostly about maintenance of the ship and, you know, getting the crew some just time away from yeah. being off the ship. So, in that sense, I suppose, sure, like, having a sweet shopping mall would be pretty cool, but, like, or, you don't need Or even a, being on a planet, I guess, you know, because yeah. getting off a starship into a space station, surely it's not really a whole lot different than being on a starship. The need for shore leave makes a lot of sense for any crew that's on a, stuck on a ship for a long period of time. But everything else, like, I don't really know what resources this starbase has that's so unique from any other planet. I, they don't really go into it, so it's hard At to all. Know. Yeah. Yeah, if, you were on, if you're stuck on a starship, you know, okay, so yeah, there's a sweet holodeck. There's replicators. You can pretty much eat whatever you want. What do you think would be like the first thing you'd want to do when you get some time away from the ship? I mean, where would you go? Like, What would be the thing that you can't do on the ship that would drive you nuts, do you think? I don't know, because the holodeck pretty much makes the real world superfluous. Actually, okay, here's one other thing, though. Like, The, the Enterprise supposedly has, like, roughly... A, how many people live on the on the Enterprise? What's the crew complement? Like, a thousand people? Plus oh, families? Gosh, I don't know. So, like, how many holodecks are there? What, like, two? Four? It's gonna be a serious backlog. Like, if you're, like, the lowliest of ensigns, can you... Do you just get bumped in terms of priority for... You know, like, Could maybe be. you're maybe you're on the waiting list, but, like, then it's like, oh, yeah, Riker wants to use the holodeck. Sorry. You probably can never get a chance to get in there. I'm sure I remember them saying there's at least a thousand people on the Enterprise, and it might be more. Uh, I'll look up the crew complement of the Enterprise D I think there might be like four holodecks. So needless to say, there might be a serious lineup to get access to one. Could definitely be. Plus, they they seem to draw a lot of power, which seems right. Which seems reasonable. Yeah, think about that, how much that must suck. Let's say you are like Ensign third grade. You've been waiting for a month and a half for your one chance to use the holodeck. So it's finally your time. And then there's a shipwide emergency right when that happens. (laughs) Do you lose your time? Do you get bumped? Like, how does that work? I don't know how holodeck priority works on that. It's never discussed, but it would be a big deal. I would be pissed it happened to me but anyway like shore leave would be shore leave i think would be the biggest priority when you're trying to get away from the ship particularly if you are like a junior officer and you True. never get a chance True. to use the holonex the enterprise has all sorts of like sports facilities too like oh wesley even mentioned they have a low gravity gym yeah. what the hell is the point of that so your workout isn't too strenuous i suppose yeah it'd be less of a workout when you want a high gravity gym <laughs> I, don't know, I guess in low I gravity know. you can do all sorts of cool shit like really yeah. high jumps <laughs> You feel like a fucking superhero. That'd be a low G basketball would be really Yo, cool. Actually. Twelve yeah. point shots from the other side of the court. Wesley can go and impress the chicks. It's like, yeah, <laughs> check out my check out my max bench, five hundred pounds. But he can't he can't impress G. them. You can't see any muscles under those billowing uh, sweater. sweaters. Nice uh, piping on that sweater. Wesley's sweaters in season one are amazing, and episode one does not disappoint. He's yeah. got two sweaters in this episode. He's got the brown one, and then he's got that kind of green one with the uh, with the roping kind of I like the green one with the rope. Yeah, yeah. In later episodes he's got this really sweet peach colored one which is really weird and it's even more billowy than that green one that we saw him in in this episode. Oh man. We really a- get in detail on Wesley Crusher's sweater game in the first yeah, season. Yeah, oh man. His sweater game is on point in this season like it is uh <laughs> truly. You can almost feel Bill Cosby seething with envy every time Wesley Crusher is on screen. The Cosby show is the wardrobe source for some of these <laughs> They are Cosby-esque, the sweaters. Cosby's just we still would have been airing when the... Oh, yeah. Season oh, yeah. one of Star Trek, for sure, right? Well, uh, Cosby show ran well into the 90s. Really? Oh, what? yeah. The Cosby show ran forever. Um, in fact, the Cosby show may have outlasted Next Gen. No way. Hey, no uh, way. I'm going to look that up right now, because right, that well, is something I can uh, look up on, on my phone. Okay, well, while, while you struggle with the internet... <laughs> yeah, entertain. 
Uh, okay. I don't know. I think this, of course, is the first time we meet Wesley Crusher. Is he more annoying at the beginning than he is later? I would say less so. It really feels like certainly the direction of the beginning is he's supposed to be like a really wide-eyed kid. Yeah, all full of wonder um, and stuff. Yeah. Again, I guess when we would have been watching this for the first time, we would have been younger than he was on the show. And I guess like one of the reasons he's there is, I guess, so kids have someone they can Yeah, he's clearly there for the younger set of Star Trek fans to have their kind of in their representative yeah, yeah exactly like when yeah. they see Wesley they're like I could be me that's how I yeah. talked when I was eight I still um, the Cosby that. show ran until 1992 so it didn't outlast oh next gen but it did it <laughs> was close. it was eight seasons of the Cosby show wow would you say as a kid you identified with Wesley Crusher as a kid well I mean Wesley was well, maybe a better question is, who was your favorite character? When I was a kid. I mean, Andrew, obviously, it was Riker. Yeah, Andrew was face. way into Riker. But for you? For me, my favorite character uh, was probably Jordy, because mm-hmm. I really liked his visor. Visor was awesome. I wanted a visor so bad. Like, I thought the visor was cool. Yeah. And also, I already had a pre-existing affection for Jordy because LeVar Burton was the host of Reading Rainbow. Of course, of course. <laughs> so, Jordy was my familiar face on the Enterprise. Like, more than anyone else, Jordy was who I latched onto in yeah. the early days because I knew Jordy. I guess for me, actually, I mean, I also obviously knew from Reading Rainbow. I think my favorite as a kid, as a little kid, was Data. But Jordy, it was different because I did think of him as LeVar. Oh, Next Gen ran until 94, so... Next Gen only ran for two more years than the, like, the, 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 Cos- the Cosby show only ended two years before Next Gen did. That's, that's crazy. That is pretty funny. I wonder how many kids actually really closely, fondly identified <clears throat> with Wesley. Wesley was a little bit older than I was. Yeah. I kind of looked up to him to a certain degree. Like It wasn't like, oh gosh, I want to be like Wesley when <laughs> I grow up or anything. You looked up to his sweater game. Though. Oh yeah, well, uh, didn't we all? Well, but yeah. uh, no, like I looked at him as a teenager that I would like to hang out with. You know, when I was nine? Sure. Like, I was eight years old when Next Gen came out. You know, I guess he, he was so precocious, he did have all the answers. Mm-hmm. Annoyingly so. Yeah. Well, see, like, I was... I don't know. Like, I can't speak for everyone, because obviously you're in my generation. Like, we're, sure. we're the same age. So, yeah, I was never in the set of Star Trek fans that found Wesley annoying. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and there are a lot of people that for whom "shut up, Wesley" is like a battle cry. They don't like their Star Trek being polluted by a kid. Whereas I, you know, on the being at the opposite end of that spectrum, when Next Gen came out, I was all for Wesley, and I've never held any animosity towards Wesley. Like some episodes where he's kind of annoying, but sure. you know, I mean, he's fine though. Yeah, you know, no, no more so than like I was when I was a teenager. Shit. You know, as as far as I'm concerned, Wes, Wesley was very much like myself as a teenager. He was very well behaved and very uh, right. Always reprogramming all the isolinear chips. Yeah, well, things. I mean, that was when he was drunk. Oh, that's right. Wait, that's the next episode. Yeah, that's the next episode. The Naked Now. What do you think the first time Wesley Crusher was grounded? Oh gosh. Do you think he? Do you think he had a really strict childhood? Hard to say. You I know. bet he did. His mom seems pretty severe in this first episode. Yeah. Like, she's, like, way austere, and she clearly wants nothing to do with Riker when Riker walks up to them on the planet. Can you blame her? No. But then there's that weird moment where she says, you know, she lets slip that she knows Captain Picard, and when Riker questions her about it, she turns to her son and looks at him like, you answer him. Tell him that your father's dead and that he brought his body home. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Well, like you said, Wesley's a pretty obedient lad. When I was little, he brought my father's body home. And I've always wondered about that. Did, like, Picard show up at their door holding the dead body of Jack Crusher? I can only imagine, yeah. Because that's kind of how it sounds, right? Like, it kind of... Do we ever get context on how Jack Crusher died? I think we do. Like, I think it's coming later. Was it like a... I think it's a Wesley episode. Why was Picard there? Like, did he... Well, I think Picard and Jack Crusher were, like, best friends. Were they at some, like... You know, were they go to some, like, gambling establishment? I don't, or something I don't know. I like... think it was a mission or something. Oh, okay. Like, that, that's actually. my understanding that, you know, Jack Crusher died during a mission uh, that uh, Picard was commanding. And Picard oh. had to make one of those life-or-death decisions, and because of it, Jack Crusher died. Mm. That's my understanding, because remember later on in the episode where uh, Wesley has his psych test, um, that's his greatest fear, that he won't be able to make a life-or-death decision. Okay. Because that's how his father died. Hmm. 
Okay. But yeah, it's this weird moment where she Gates McFadden just turns to Wesley Crusher and, she, and he just recites it off. And then Riker's just there like, awkward. <laughs> He's like, okay, that was weird. <laughs> Thank, thanks for that. Thanks, Dr. Crazy. Like, this isn't the last time that uh, <laughs> that we'll get to talk about Jack Crusher's dead body being delivered. I think it comes up quite a few times. It comes up again in this episode. <laughs> it does. Yeah, that's another really awkward exchange. When Dr. Crusher and Wesley, the first time they encounter Picard... Yeah, she goes to the bridge and he's on the uh, turbo yeah. lift. Picard has a hissy fit because there's a kid on the turbo lift. As we are already like, we had it drilled into our heads that it, Picard doesn't like kids. Yeah, it's like, why is there a child on the bridge? And then she steps yeah. into view. Like, she's been hiding yeah, that was in sweet. the turbo lift, you know? It's like, just, here, this is going to be great. We're going to piss Picard the fuck yeah, off. Troll and him. then I'm going to like totally step in and he's going to be all like oh yeah. oh shit oh so awkward <laughs> like what why would she do that just to troll him so then yeah they have an awkward exchange and then he's like oh i feel guilty oh. so here wesley come on come the bridge. bridge check out the captain's chair yeah and then yeah. wesley's all like i know everything about starships because i'm so precocious perimeter alert captain yeah, the captain, the Picard throws them off the bridge because then something actually happens. Yeah. Later, he does go down to sick bay. They're in the middle of a crisis, and he takes a couple moments out to go down and, uh, and say, like, sorry I was a dick to you on the bridge to Dr. Crusher. And then they bring up the body yet again. And he's all like, if you want off the ship, I'll support that. And she's all like, why would I want off the ship? And you know, he's like, because I killed your husband. And she's like, uh, no, it's okay. That's fine. That's okay. She requested the assignment. Yeah, Picard made it all weird. But then luckily, uh, yeah, the whole situation gets diffused pretty quickly. We don't come back to it at all because now it's no. time to get, a, get <laughs> and on it's with it. never the... <laughs> mentioned again. It's time to get on to the business of Farpoint Station. Oh, yeah, this is important to pick up too that Picard and Dr. Crusher don't have a pre existing relationship before this episode. I don't get that. Like, they don't know each other terribly well i think that's just something they decided in this episode and changed yeah their minds yeah and changed later. in the very next episode because in the yeah. very next episode she's like practically hitting on captain picard in his ready room she like oh really oh yeah yeah. She, yeah you know she unzips her oh, uh, god that's so awkward you know and and which leads to like one of my favorite picard moments of all time that weird kind of <laughs> that he does when like she like leans into him with her yeah. with her now exposed cleavage and it's okay he was drunk at the time yeah, I, yeah. I guess there's their excuse for everything. On that yeah, episode. but you know, even drunk, they don't know each other yet. Like what she's just developed this attraction to Captain Picard. But later on in the series, they seem to establish that they did know each other and knew each other well at the time. Yeah, like when Jack I, like later, was alive. Yeah, later on, I always got the impression that maybe Picard had been sweet on Beverly, but couldn't do anything because Jack was his best friend. But I, I don't know because he didn't introduce them. It was that other captain. This whole episode's about. This stuff later on in the yeah, series yeah we'll get there i guess so so it turns out farpoint station is an alien it's it's an alien sand dollar basically the other it's it's partner yeah uh, the other sand dollar the one that's in space shows like, up I'm, mad i'm curious what the uh what the thought process was on that too like you know when they're writing the episodes like we need an alien thing and it needs to be a credible threat uh how about a sand dollar with tentacles done yeah let's do that perfect like we discussed, the the abyss hadn't been filmed yet when the, they made this episode. Yeah, I don't think the abyss had come out yet because this was eighty seven, and I think yeah. think the abyss was eighty eight. I'm not yeah. sure. <laughs> More internet fact checking. The the IMDb will know. The commenters will jump on that if we're wrong. I suppose you're right. The abyss was eighty nine. There you go. Yeah, so, yeah. Boom. Told you. Yeah. So the other jellyfish shows up, mad that. Uh, yeah. Mad at the um. The bendy. The, the bandy. They starts shooting their city up and then steals Groppler Zorn before Riker can steal Groppler Zorn because Riker was given the uh, the order to kidnap Groppler Zorn. Oh yeah, he seems to be not making much progress on that. But to be fair, I guess we we don't see this happen, but it looks like they Riker and Data get knocked unconscious by a blast from the uh, the jellyfish. Mm. Cuz which is in the middle of like, you know, raining fire down on the yeah. Bandy city. Cuz by the time they get to Groppler Zorn, he's like cowering under his desk. And then the creature beams Groppler Zorn up before they can take him into custody. So Q shows up at that point, mocking them for not knowing exactly what's going on yet. Probably wants to, should cut them some slack that they've never seen space jellyfish before. Yeah. I guess if they assume that Q should know what a stun setting looks like, then it's fair for Q to assume that they should know about the space jellyfish. Fair, yeah. 
That's, I suppose so. That seems reasonable. So they beam over into the jellyfish, which sort of looks like a ship still. Um, and luckily enough, <laughs> it has a breathable atmosphere. Yeah, that was that was lucky. They didn't seem to check at all before they went no. over, but that's okay. Grobblezorn's being tortured in this sort of energy yeah. containment thing. They release him from that. And then it beams them back over to the Enterprise. Yeah. You know, while Q is urging Picard to destroy the thing. You know, because that's not subtle at all. Yeah. So uh, at that point, basically, Picard and everybody else on the bridge seem to, you know, put all the puzzle pieces in place. And then Picard makes the further leap that uh, the creature on the ground must be this creature's mate. And yeah. everyone looks sore amazed. Like, oh, oh we're going to see some space sex. I'm glad we don't. Um, or maybe we do. I don't I'm know. I'm not sure whether those uh, tentacle branch things touching was just, you know, them holding hands or... I still or, think that's supposed to be a high five, but yeah. whatever. <laughs> yeah, the uh, true yeah. loves high five. Maybe. Anyway, the Enterprise shoots an energy beam down onto Firepoint Station, and it then is able to re- resume its normal form of space jellyfish. And yeah, yeah. It blasts off, sort of, flies up into but space. Yeah, it, it drifts lazily upwards <laughs> out of frame. Yeah, it's pretty slow. And uh, then then Q's all like, wow, I guess this was way too easy. Then I'm going to leave now, but that doesn't mean I'm not coming back. Yeah, Picard gets pretty uppity. Picard also gets a little sassy. You know, it's like, Riker's all like, oh, I hope that's not the way our missions normally go. And Picard's all like, no, I'm sure our other missions will be much more interesting. Yeah. Ho, 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 ho. Yep. And then they uh, they zoom off to wherever they're going to go next, but not before they've apparently rebuilt Farpoint Station. Yeah, there's a one-liner where they say, it, the captain's log says, we've rebuilt Farpoint Station. As per my instructions. It's like, like but, what? But Starfleet sent you there to negotiate for the use of Farpoint Station, you know, because the whole point of you being there is that there was, the station was pre-built, you know? Why would you... You know, why would they then turn around and say, oh, it's gone? Well, let's rebuild it there anyways. Listen, listen, Jeffrey, you don't get to command the flagship without following Starfleet's instructions to the letter. He was told to negotiate use of Farpoint Station. <laughs> when Farpoint Station was gone, he had to rebuild it. He had to it. build it again so that he so could that negotiate, he could negotiate for it. There's a reason he's the captain of the Enterprise. That sounds legit. That's what, the, the, that must be what it is, because we're given no other explanation. <laughs> oh, uh, we didn't talk about the Ferengi. Oh, shit. We gotta talk about the Ferengi because in season one, for the first couple of episodes of season one, and starting here, yeah. they're trying to set up the Ferengi as being the big bads of the next generation series. That was the initial intent. Was yeah. they didn't want to reuse the Klingons, they didn't want to reuse the Romulans. They wanted a new threat for the next generation. Yeah, and the Ferengi were gonna be it. So certainly, at least at the beginning, we do, they're just mentioned by name. They're seen as a yeah, they're they're threatening. Yeah, at one point. Pretty hilarious if you've ever seen any episodes of Deep Space Nine or really any later episodes of TNG, because the Ferengi are nothing like this, of course. But uh, Groppler Zorn threatens to, you know, since he's not, he doesn't like what he's hearing from the Federation when they're sort of questioning. He's like, unhappily, I will have to make an alliance with the, or make a uh, yeah he, arrangement with the Ferengi Alliance, and they're all like, oh. We hope they find you as tasty as their last business partners. Yeah, so the Ferengi eat people, I guess? That seem, that's certainly the impression I was taking away from that, is that yeah. we're, we're, we're to assume that the Ferengi devour people. Why not? And certainly you, you can see that that was kind of where they were going when we, when we first meet the Ferengi in a later episode, and they're kind of feral. Yeah, yeah. But there's no menace to the Ferengi. That idea gets dropped pretty fast, because, frankly, it's stupid. The first portrayal of the Ferengi in the first episode they appear in pretty much immediately cuts the head off of that threat. Well, they have those sweet hollow whips. Yeah, and uh, that weird white background whenever they talk on the bridge, bridge like on the view screen. I think they explain that. They're they're, they're trying to, like, anonymize their bridge. They don't want uh, the Federation Mm -hmm. to see what it looks like for some reason. Um, They don't seem to be a race that should be as technologically advanced as they are. It's hard to take them as a credible threat, despite the fact that we're always told that their level of technology is comparable to that of the Federation. Yeah. And, like, their ship looks impressive and stuff, but then you see them 
them and they're wearing furs. I think it's pretty much leather with fur collars. Style. No, no, like they've got like a full-on like caveman-style fur really? fur body thing going in the first season. Are you sure? I am definitely sure. Uh, we'll have to watch that episode and find yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, we will. Uh, we we will get there in short order. Yeah. So that was encounter at Farpoint Station. Yeah. Or in, pardon me, just encounter at Farpoint. Uh, yeah. The Farpoint Space Station. On the, on, on the ground for featuring, reasons. Yeah, featuring Wesley sweaters. Those were fine sweaters. Um, do you think they're replicated or do you think like they're handmade? Hell no. Hell no. Why do you think Crusher wanted that fabric in the oh. mall? She's going to make him another sweater. That didn't seem like the kind of fabric you could make a sweater. Like I would think yarn. Way. No, no, no. She gets fabric so that she can unmake it and she, use the thread. She uses. She does the piping herself. Oh With man. With that like gold. Yeah, the, the like because those look like knitted sweaters to me. Like they, listen, <laughs> don't underestimate her. Uh, She's a chief medical officer. She has probably has awesome sweater skills as well. I don't recall if in this episode Picard went into his ready room on the bridge at all. Are you gonna ring that up? I might later. Listen, have you realized your mistake on that? Should I not make this a running gag? I'm not ready to talk about that. <laughs> You're not ready to talk about that. Future episodes, my friends. Future episodes. Stay tuned. All right, so I guess, shall yeah. we cut it there? Yeah. All right. This, it up. this has been super fun. Yeah, thanks for listening to Wesley's Sweater Game. <laughs> Is that what we're calling the uh, podcast? We'll think about that. Uh, we'll probably figure out a title and drop it awkwardly into the beginning of this recording later. Yes, I can't wait. <laughs> All right. Oh, this is totally pointless to bring up at this point but, but I'm doing it do it anyway <laughs> but I'm gonna do it anyways Source in the smooth ending <laughs> in this first episode uh, when the captain speaks his log entries during they aren't supplemental they're supplementary oh right for you grammarians up and for anyone that wants to make fun of me for quite a long time because of Star Trek the next generation I did not know what the word supplemental meant. Mm-hmm. I thought it had something to do with like a condition of urgency or something like, you know, captain's log, supplemental. So it's like, you know, captain's log, danger level pretty great, you know, was how it was working in my brain, not, you know, like captain's log additional, which is what it truly means. And even once I knew what supplemental actually meant, my brain still divided it from the way it was used in Star Trek. So for quite some time, every time Captain's Log Supplemental came up, I always assumed that, you know, Captain's Log, dangerous shit happening. I'm pretty sure as a kid, like, it took me a while to figure out that phaser was a word. I thought they were saying fader. Because <laughs> you fade you just, the guy? I don't yeah, know. You just, well, I, no, I, I appreciate you yeah. jumping in here with this to kind of offset how stupid I seem for not uh, knowing supplementary. Yours is still pretty stupid. But it's yeah. still pretty stupid. Yeah. All right. Learned a lot from Star Trek, but it's not good good vocabulary. No, no, clearly. Well, I, I was eight. Yeah. You know, it was 1987. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Tune in next time for uh, The Naked Now and uh, Drunk Next Gen, okay. which will be fun. Should we be drunk when we record that? No. No. We won't be drunk when we record that. I might be drunk.